Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Hello, welcome to the Premier League podcast packed with news and opinion. It's Football Social Daily from Sports Social. So subscribe now and you'll never miss another show again. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing the return of the Bundesliga. German football is back, English football not quite yet. What can we learn from the action at the weekend over in Germany? And what does this show for the Premier League moving forward? Also, plenty of transfer gossip to get through on today's show. Ryan Fraser, heavily linked with a move to Arsenal, could now possibly be on his way to Spurs. And if Manchester United want Aston Villa's Jack Grealish, they'll have to stump up 80 million quid for him, relegation or not. Those are the big stories on today's podcast. And alongside me, we've got Fergal Brennan and Steve McNaughton. Hello, chaps. Good morning. The best thing about German football for me is the food and the beer. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely quality. It's an experience going to watch uh, Dortmund and I think, like I've said on the podcast before, if you do get a chance to do that in life, you should do it. 100%. The Bundesliga, certainly an experience, but of course not many people able to experience it. None, in fact, because it was played behind closed doors. We want to know, did it work? We want your thoughts on how it panned out on our social media pages as well, at the Sports Social, so go and get involved over there. My name's Niall. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. You're one of a million people to have downloaded the podcast throughout this season, and despite the fact we're not quite as daily as we usually are we're still bringing you three new podcasts a week so make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss another episode again okay let's begin and talk about the german top flight the bundesliga it was back at the weekend there's even a game taking place tonight monday night uh, to complete the weekend schedule steve can the premier league be positive about moving forward now did it work this weekend the return of the bundesliga i mean was it positive enough to encourage those premier league fans that we might see a return on the horizon yeah i think we i think we could take lots of positives from what happened in the bundesliga at the weekend it was great to see live football back and obviously the atmosphere was 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 an obvious thing to discuss and um, talk about or lack of it but i thought it was encouraging to see how they did it i think that you know, seeing that the fans have the respect to stay away from the stadium and and not you know put that in doubt in any way, shape or form, like they previously been instructed to and asked to, 
Um, I thought, you know, it looked very clean, it looked very organised, it looked very structured. And um, the football was good. You know, I watched the Dortmund game as, you know, they're, they're my second team, as I've said on the podcast before. And um, I just enjoyed watching some football again. I think, you know, some obvious, uh, you know, things on it were the, the lack of intensity. It felt like the game was at about 80%. Um, mm. which is to be expected I suppose and tiredness was indeed a factor towards the end of it but generally glad to see it back um, I think we'll find out in the next days and weeks if, if any cases have come off the back of football being back and um, yeah good, good to see things starting to move along and I think the Premier League can be very optimistic and take the blueprint of the Bundesliga and what they've done at the weekend, and and try and put that into practice, whether that be at the end of June or in July. There were no obvious failures, Fergal, at least on the face of it anyway. And as Steve says, we might have to look into it a little bit more forensically to figure out whether there has been sort of any issues that have arisen from the weekend's Bundesliga action. But on the face of it, watching from afar, and although it's a bit weird, you're seeing commentators commentating from their libraries and whatnot, and, (laughs) you know, you're finding it a bit strange, kind of taking it all in with subs sat two metres apart with masks on, despite the fact the players are getting stuck into each other. There are a few weird things to get your head around. But in terms of what it looked like on the pitch from afar, it didn't seem like there were any immediate issues for the Premier League to be concerned about. No, no. And, I, and I'd agree with Steve. When you look at the game itself, uh, he mentioned obviously players playing at kind of 80%. I think that's to be expected. What we've essentially just gone through in the last six to eight weeks is a pre-season, an extended pre-season, in fact, in terms of how, how long they would normally get, and particularly in a tournament year like this summer would have been. Um and I think in terms of the Premier League, yes, there's there's a roadmap or a blueprint to follow uh, for the Premier League to come back potentially in in the middle of June. But I, I think a lot of this comes down to, and you know, we chatted about it on on the podcast last week. Everybody across the board has to be willing to make quite significant sacrifices. People need to be mindful that they can't be too precious about their football and their club and and, and what certain things mean to them. Every single person involved in football is going to have to make significant sacrifices, just like everyone's making sacrifices with uh, their everyday life at the moment. And I think this argument that obviously keeps coming up about supporters being in the grounds, nobody in in their right mind thinks that um, football without fans is a good idea or a positive thing, but it is a necessity at the moment. So I think the argument of uh, should it continue if it's going to be behind closed doors in Germany? Should the Premier League consider it? Uh, given the fact that it will have to be Premier League football behind closed doors. It's not really an argument about, is it the right thing to do? I think it's more an argument of, do you want football back or do you want to wait another eight months to watch football again? That's how the question should be really being phrased. Mm. Um, And I think that will be the case for the Premier League moving forward. I think, in a way, the, the weight of this fan argument is actually greater in England than it is in Germany. Not obviously, as you say, match day experience at Dortmund is incredible. It's not obviously that fans in Germany are, are less concerned, but this rhetoric that keeps rolling around of, yeah, but what about the fans? What about... Yes, we all see that situation and we all want to be in the position to go to matches, but that is not going to be a possibility probably until 2021. So I think in, in terms of the, the, the example from Germany at the weekend, I think there's a huge amount of positives for the Premier League to look at, but everybody, including the Premier League, needs to be more practical about how that's going to happen. Because if it is going to happen, it's going to have to be pretty much a mirror of what we saw at the weekend or Mm. nothing. Yeah, for me, I mean, I said at the top of the show that I think the Bundesliga is great. And in general, I do. But I also tweeted over the weekend that 
I found it quite amusing that everyone was starting to realise how terrible football is without the fans. And it is rubbish without the fans. It's not the same. There was a void missing there. There was atmosphere missing. People said that it sounded like it was being played in a sports hall. But I think the point you raised there is the correct one. This is only a temporary thing. Fans will be in stadiums hopefully sooner rather than later. We're not going to have football which sounds like it's being played on a basketball court forever. No, no. And and that's... That is a reality of the situation. Um, in terms of football coming back, nothing can be done about the situation in terms of behind closed doors. There isn't an alternative. There isn't a third option here of could we maybe do this or have a restricted amount of fans. If Premier League, fa- sorry, if Premier League fans want football back before the end of July or the end of August, this is the only way of doing it. And I think. The Premier League are working hard. You know, we you know we've discussed many times the reasons for why they're pushing for this and why certain clubs want it and why other clubs might not want it. Um, but this is the only option. It is going to have to be behind closed doors with a huge amount of restrictions in place. Um, and yeah, if the acoustics are bad, there isn't anything to do. Like maybe they can do what we're we're doing, recording remotely and put a load of cushions around the stadium, see if that helps. I don't think it will, <laughs> but you never know. You know, maybe maybe get in touch with Liverpool or Manchester City, see if uh, Aguero or Salah's got a few spare cushions they can bring to a match. That's the only way around <laughs> it. And and for me, if if that's the biggest issue at the moment, it's not good enough to cancel football. The priority is the health and safety of everybody involved. If that is confirmed football is good enough to come back other arguments such as fans being at the ground obviously it's vital but it has to take a back seat to other things at the moment well south korean club fc seoul got in trouble this weekend for using uh <laughs> silicon sex dolls in the crowd as their supporters rather than actual cardboard cutouts or, or anyone at all for that matter uh but who cares they won the game one nil so it seems <laughs> to have worked um steve uh, fergal says that the german teams have had a bit of time to get their feet back on the ground in terms of getting into not match fitness but certainly sharper than they would have been after this long layoff there is a vote today on monday from premier league clubs on a return to training now at least 14 of the 20 Premier League clubs need to vote yes to this situation effectively for it to be passed. So 14 out of 20 clubs need to agree on a return to training. Now, we've already seen some players like Danny Rose, for example, come out and say they're not interested in this sort of thing. Can you see 14 clubs voting positively on this? I think it's going to be very tight, isn't it? I can see 13, you know, that, that will probably be up for it. And I think it might come down to, um, you know, maybe Newcastle have the pivotal vote on it, you know, but... Um, I think it's we we have to move forward in some way, shape, or form. We've got we've got to up the ante. I think the biggest question for me is is the start date, and you know something that we have talked about quite a bit. And you know I mentioned that you know that that kind of initial start date in June seemed a bit optimistic. And you know Steve Bruce has come out yesterday and I said it needs to be the end of June. I've not got any problems with that if that's better for player welfare and obviously it gives us a bit more time to to get on top of the situation as well. Um, but I, I just think that, and I put a tweet out about it at the weekend. Now, obviously, it comes with a bit of a disclaimer because, first and foremost, you know, I want everyone to be safe. You know, not just in the football community. I want you know, you know, the loss of lives to stop and 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 for us to get past this this situation. For now, sure. But I've got a little niggly feeling in me that a lot of these bottom teams, especially the bottom six are trying to, to force the issue on, on relegation and putting quite a few barriers in place to, to progress being made. I think, um, you know, Troy Deeney has been very vocal in it and Troy's entitled to, to, to say what he wants and he's he's saying his family, his main, his main you know, uh, point of concern, which I totally get. 
you know, Danny Rose has come out and said some stuff as well. And again, you know, he's entitled to his opinion. But I think that when I hear about, you know, three Brighton players have, have picked up coronavirus and, um, uh, you know, other other things that are being said. First and foremost, who are the three players? Have we got the names of the three players yet who, who got it? Because I've not seen it anywhere, but I could be wrong. And um, I think they've got to face the reality that if you're in the bottom three, like, like, like you know, uh, Nigel Pearson spoke about a death at the weekend and that, which I thought was, was a bit dramatic. Um, but I just think that, you know, we can't not have relegation in the Premier League this, this season. By hook or by crook, three teams have got to go down and two have to come up from the championship because we can't start a new season until that, that happens. Um, we don't want to do it on a points-per-game basis uh, because that doesn't really seem fair if you're relegated by that method. And I think they've got to come round to the, to, to the table. Um, you know, Fergal mentioned before about a bit of give and take you know, from some of the teams when it comes to Premier League football in this country. And they're going to have to compromise a little bit and, and that's the reality of it. And I think... If the vote doesn't get passed today and, you know, it turns out that, that seven teams have said no to it and 13 have said yes to it, you know, we're going to have to get back round the table at some point. But, but the, you know, the very real reality is, is that we have to get moving at some point. Things need to start picking up. And I think, you know, the Bundesliga at the weekend um, was looked very clean. Like I said before, we'll find out what cases, if any, come from that activity at the weekend and that. But, you know, we, we've got to get things going and... As long as we're doing it in a safe manner and we've got player welfare and staff welfare at heart, you know, let, let's do it. You know, let's not hold this process up any longer and let things be decided and then let's take a view on next season and see where we are after that. Just picking up on the comment you made about the Brighton players, um, that third Brighton player who tested positive last week, we don't know who it is. We don't know who the other two players before that were. Um, that hasn't been revealed by Brighton or their CEO, Paul Barber. So we're just in the dark as anyone else, which is understandable. I think it's important to probably keep some of these things private at this situation. But uh, the two before this third player tested positive have already recovered it's understood so just one player who's currently got COVID-19 clubs have tested players over the weekend for coronavirus Fergal I mean I think it's inevitable we're going to see at least some positive results rumours suggesting that there's been around 1600 tests administered to Premier League staff and squads over the weekend I mean the chances are with the infection rate the way it is in the UK at the moment that we will see at least some positive results from those tests I think it's an absolute certainty uh, particularly when you look at the numbers from from equivalence there was 10 Bundesliga players who tested positive there was six La Liga players who tested positive and that was only in this round of testing obviously a month or six weeks ago when clubs were also testing players the, the infection rate was quite far higher and, and more players were infected um I, a point on the the naming of players I do think it's sensible not to name them uh this should be like any other medical procedure you're anonymity your data should be protected it's you know it shouldn't really be any different than going to see your doctor that's that's just your personal information and i think spain learned a lesson from this when they allowed the media to report on six weeks ago when certain players tested positive their names were either leaked or it was allowed to be reported on and now they're keeping it in-house um and in terms of the premier league everybody needs to be prepared for the fact that there will be almost 100 percent certainty players testing positive in the coming days Everybody needs to be prepared for the potential setback that that will cause, because if they take the example of Spain and they say, right, well, that individual player now needs to go and self-isolate for a set period of time. They have to have two negative successive negative tests before they can come back. 
that will be a setback to, to, to certain clubs because, you know, you've talked about certain clubs. If, that, if that's your best player or your captain and they've tested positive, the rest of the world isn't going to know that it's them. You are. You're, you will know that your squad are training, but your best player is 10 days or two weeks behind in terms of fitness. So all of these things will play a factor, uh, not just on a club-by-club -club basis, but on the entire Premier League, because there is going to be setbacks. In, in a strange way, the Premier League has not actually had a setback yet, because they haven't actually had a plan in place for when the league will come back into play. So there's always going to be setbacks, there's always going to be um, issues over testing, but in terms of players testing positive i'm amazed that we haven't seen more i think this is being very tightly managed by the league and by the clubs uh in terms of releasing of data definitely obviously releasing of names um because they want to kind of pull uh, tighten up ranks on this because they the majority of teams want to get the season restarted they want to get training going again but they know that any little leak of information sets them back but they do need to prepare themselves for the fact that there will be some positive tests over the next few days and everybody is going to have to react to that. I mean, Fergal makes a point there, Steve, about Premier League players, you know, being as human as anyone else in terms of their data should be protected. And we've said it on the podcast a few times over the last few weeks about how footballers although they're not quite normal employees, they do kind of have the asterisk around them in terms of it being quite a unique job. And one official at a Premier League club, according to Sky Sports News, has come out this week and said players should not be paid if they refuse to train. What are your thoughts on that? Because like I say, we say footballers are normal employees and, and arguably not being paid for a refusal to go to work when it's proven to be safe would be normal treatment in modern society. <laughs> this is a bit of a hot potato <laughs> this one isn't it uh, you know and everyone's kind of like strapping themselves in waiting for my opinion on this <laughs> but <laughs> I, uh, exactly yeah yeah get the popcorn out I uh, I you know I, I just think if if you know you you refuse to train or play I think I mentioned it on the podcast I think it might have been last week or the week before um, <laughs> I said you know players should be given the opportunity to opt out if they don't feel safe and in the environment that's been provided and you know they should have a break from it if, if they don't want to do it you know Troy Deeney and Danny Rose are two names that you know have come to mind for, for recent comments for, for varying reasons I think you know the club needs to sit down with those players via video or in a safe manner and and you know get down to the bottom of it and see what the reasons are and put some support in place for those players but if if they cannot work i.e kind of train and um uh, you know then play games through the the choice of not wanting to do it because we're not talking about an injury and being injured is a different thing to, altogether um because if you've done that in in the line of duty i think you know that can't be helped but if you're just point blank refusing to train and eventually take part in games until this crisis is over i think there's got to be a sit down in the club and you know where maybe contracts are put on hold or something like that you know when wages aren't paid um because mm. i think that you know, it, I don't think it sends out the right message, you know, paying someone a salary for, for, for when they're refusing to do what is essentially their job. Yeah, this has come from an executive at a Premier League club. It's an unnamed Premier League club, as is often the case when these things get leaked. Mm -hmm. It's tough because if the environment has proven to be safe, the club and the employer in that situation does have a leg to stand on in terms of suggesting that that employee might not pick up their regular wages. You know, if it's proven to be unsafe, like currently we don't know the results of tests. Um, at the moment, I would argue that training grounds are no safer than any other 
environment. Uh, social distancing rules obviously needed to be adhered, adhered to. So yeah, they're I training mean, in numbers, aren't they? Small groups as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're training. In, I think it's no more than groups of five um, and socially Se- distant. Seventy-five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there are there are regulations in place, but with the money that football clubs are losing at this moment in time, even Premier League clubs, uh, to be honest, then is this just kind of the executive taking over with his business brain and saying, right, okay, well, why should we play? Why should we pay for a service which we aren't getting? Why should we pay for a player uh, and pay his wages when they're not they're not playing games? I mean, is, is there an argument there for that? I think that, you know, there's got to be a sit down between it. I think we've got to look at supporting the players that, that mentally don't feel you know that they can, you know, join into in training and, and play games, and I think you no, know, there's got to be a com- bit of common sense that's got to, you know, be applied there. But I think, you know, maybe it's kind of I don't know, you know, it might be something, you know, like a part payment or something like that. But I don't think it's right to demand full wages when if if there's a safe environment and there's lots of there's lots of asterisks with this and lots of things need to fall in place with it. But if all the ducks are in a row, it's safe. You know, uh, t- regular testers in place, but if they just say, actually, I don't want to for the benefit of my family, or I don't want to because because you know mentally I don't feel I'm, I'm ready to contribute, they've got to be supported in the right manner. But I do think there's got to be a situation where they sit down and say, well, let's just have a look at kind of you know the contract until the situation's over. If I'm honest, I lose my head every time I go to the supermarket. I mean, there's bottles of detergent and <laughs> antibacterial spray and gel everywhere, big signs, big exclamation marks, social distancing signs and uh, symbols on the floor, tape letting you know where to stand, one-way systems around the aisles, and I'm still a big ball of anxiousness walking through the supermarket, and I'm not afraid to admit that. Yeah. I mean, I, I despise this situation that we're in at the moment, as does everyone, but... I mean, if I'm feeling het up in the supermarket, Fergal, I mean, I know it's slightly different to, to go into a training ground where you're out in the open and you can keep your distance a little bit more. It's only fair to suggest that some players will feel a little bit uncomfortable returning to work. Of course. And I think the issue here is, and, and I agree and I, I disagree with, with what Steve said, um, there's a lot of players that obviously have, have come out and said that they're concerned about certain things with regards to safety and their family's safety, etc. The problem here at the moment is that word, safe, it, it's never meant more different things for different mm. people. Now, we can talk about having protocols in place and, and this and this and this. There's an enormous amount, as you say, in supermarkets, safety protocols in place at the moment for restriction of movement around the UK. And if these players are still concerned about those things, that demonstrates that they're not confident that their place of work, a training ground, is going to be up to standard. Now, it might meet the government's um, health advice standards, it might meet the club's standards, but the issue at the moment is there is no universal definition of safe with regards to people's views on coronavirus. We see that. How many times have you gone out and the measures you've taken, you've looked at someone and thought, oh my God, why are you not being more careful? Or you might even look at someone and say, you're doing a bit more than me. Am I in the wrong? Or are you going too far? That is the issue here at the moment. This is not a a black and white issue in terms of safety where a club can say, right, well, we've done this, so you're safe. No, it's not as simple as that. The majority of players might go, yeah, I'm satisfied by this, but the numbers that say, no, we're not, shouldn't be kind of held up. And, you know, it's no coincidence that Danny Rose is, is being held up by, by certain aspects within the media. We know that he's been used as a bit of a uh, a, a, a target before for, for these types of things. Um, and I think that that is the case. There's no... There's no set rules on 
this is safe. This isn't like a, a physical issue. This isn't like, a, for example, a, a fire at the training ground where the fire service have come in and said the building is now safe to return into. There's absolutely no issues. That type of guarantee cannot be offered with coronavirus and with with health um, restrictions in place, because we've seen restrictions in place and infection rates rise in, in certain parts of the world. So to go back to the point of players and, and being paid and uh, etc., what we need to be very careful here of that wages, again, are not weaponized. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, agree with the amount of money that players are paid. They are paid that, but it's constantly weaponized against them. Oh, well, you've it's got not their this. fault, is it? You're exactly, not, and you wouldn't yeah. refuse that money, would you? If someone said, here you go, here's 50 grand a week to kick football around and you're a professional, you're not going to say, oh, you're all right, lads. Of course, of course. And I made that point with, with Todd Cantwell's uh, comments last week on, on the podcast last week of this idea of money and privilege doesn't protect you from a potentially deadly virus. And I think... Deeney or Danny Rose or Cantwell or whoever, the, the comments that they've come out and said, they've basically demonstrated we are still people with families that we need to protect. And I think, yes, clubs can adhere to, to all the safety guidelines in the world, but players still have the right to say, I don't think that that's enough. Just as we might say, I don't think that's enough in our own individual places of work. And wages, yeah, wages are always weaponized against players because it's such low-hanging fruit to bring up and, and fire at players and say, oh, but you're happy to take this. It, it's irrelevant in this situation because the way that it's been phrased is take their wages off them. Okay, but if a person was working in a minimum wage job and they raised with their boss, listen, boss, I'm not convinced that all the measures are in place here uh, for me to work safely. People wouldn't be championing for their wages to be cut at all. No. You're absolutely spot on there, Fergal. And of course, we await the outcome with interest of this Premier League meeting, which is taking place on Monday. At least 14 of the 20 Premier League clubs need to vote on a return to training to go ahead in order for that to actually happen. So we do eagerly watch on and see what the outcome of that meeting is. Time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily, but don't go anywhere because afterwards we'll be talking the latest transfer gossip in the English top flight, including rumours surrounding Bournemouth's Ryan Fraser and Aston Villa's Jack Grealish. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. My name's Niall. Alongside me on today's podcast, I've got Steve and I've got Fergal and we've been discussing the return of the Bundesliga and what that means for a potential Premier League comeback in the coming weeks. But now that's out the way, let's discuss the transfer gossip doing the rounds in the Premier League and in the newspapers today mainly. And the top story that seems to be surfacing everywhere, it's come from several sources, is the fact that Ryan Fraser, the Bournemouth winger, they call him Wee Man, he's only five foot two, uh, who's been heavily linked with a move to Arsenal because he's out of contract at Dean Court in the summer, is rumoured to now want a move to the other side of North London, to Tottenham Hotspur. Now, Fergal, this is one that will interest you as an Arsenal fan. It's been pretty much linked from, well, maybe January last year that Ryan Fraser is interested in a move to Arsenal. Is this just paper chat, do you feel, that now he's interested in a move to Spurs? I mean, what would be the benefits of a of a move to Tottenham Hotspur instead of Arsenal? Um, I think, first of all, whoever Fraser's agent is, he needs to work very quickly to dispel these rumours because uh, if he ends up at Arsenal, he's been linked at Tottenham, the Arsenal fans are not going to like it. And if he ends up at Tottenham, uh, and they find out that Arsenal wants him, the Tottenham fans might not like it. So uh, I think he's in a bit of a pickle in that sense. 
we were linked with him last summer and it was supposed to have fallen through. I think it's a bit more than just paper chat um, because he's been consistently linked. There was there was reported talks last year and we were going to offer 20 million uh, so that we wouldn't have to wait a year to sign him on a free. But I think for me, the kind of winds of... The winds of time have, have changed the situation. He was really impressive for them last season. Dynamic, full of running, a bit of a scrapper, could get you a goal, could create a goal. But this season, along with Bournemouth having these ridiculous injury struggles that they've had and Eddie Howe trying to steady the ship, his form has dipped off. And I'm just looking at his numbers here now. 28 appearances in the Premier League and just one goal. Um, now, I know, obviously, as I say, Bournemouth have had their issues this season, but the Ryan Fraser of 12 months ago compared to the Ryan Fraser of now are two different beasts. And I think if this was 12 months ago and he was out of contract and he was, or his agent was trying to play Arsenal and Tottenham off against each other, they might have a bit more, a bit more of a stronger hand. For Arsenal, I think if he was to come, I don't think he'd be in the starting 11. As I say, I do like him, but I think his stock has dropped a fair bit. Um, and I also think for Tottenham, I don't really think he'd be a starter there when you look at the options they've got out wide. Um if and this is genuinely from a, a neutral perspective, I think the choice of two clubs at the moment, Arsenal are the option, and I'll explain that. No, non-partisan. Uh, I think Mourinho is, has so often proved to be a, a graveyard for these types of players, creative players that are full of dynamism and that crucially need to have uh, confidence just hooked into their veins, as, as Eddie Howe does with his players. Um, Mourinho is a vampire in that sense for me. Um, and we've seen that with the players that were signed last summer, uh, Tangai Ndombele being the best example of that, how he's struggled and Mourinho's kind of, other than, you know, taking him out for a, a quick game of five-a-side in the park, doesn't really seem to be interested in him. Um, I, I think with Arteta, there's a sense of a, a very much a squad idea. We're in this together. If I like you and, and you get on board with my methods, you'll be, you know, the fans will love you and you'll be an Arsenal regular. The concern for Fraser is I don't see him getting into either team. I see him being a squad option. And I think Steele appreciate this. I think we could potentially be looking at a Jordan Shakiri uh, situation, not just a height comparison. Uh, yeah. Skillful player, does really, really well for a side that's either relegation danger or being relegated. Is that because goes... of the dip in form, though, Fergal? Do you feel he'll be a, a bench player rather than a, a starting eleven? I mean, you, could you possibly suggest that 12 months ago he would have got in the starting lineup? Yeah, but 12 months ago we didn't have Nicolas Pepe. So that's what I mean. Things change. Like 12 months ago, if we'd signed him, yeah, but his form allied with Pepe, allied with also Arteta coming in, it would have been Emery that would have signed him last summer. So those things have changed and they are really, really significant. And I think, as I say, with the example of Shakiri, he's gone to Liverpool there's, you know, talks of that he hasn't kind of fitted into what Jurgen Klopp wants from him and what he demands from every player in that squad. And he's dipped. And I think, you know, we, we kind of sometimes see levels of these players. Jordan Shakir is an excellent player. We've seen at Liverpool that maybe he isn't a top four player when his form at Stoke, everyone was like, yeah, you know, look at him. He's their best player. He's almost keeping them up single-handedly. You know, he'd be a real squad option for a top four. It's demonstrated at Liverpool that that isn't the case. And, and I'd be concerned that that could be exactly the case with Fraser and you know I'll give Spurs their due I think it could be the same case as uh, Spurs if they're pushing for for top four or for Europa Mm. okay well Fergal mentions the stats this season Steve but if you look at last season as we've previously mentioned 14 assists seven goals 28 big chances created is this the classic case of oh he's had his head turned in the summer and it's not quite happened for him the season after yeah maybe I mean you know it's one of them when when that said that only the player knows the truth of that matter, doesn't he? But I think that 
I th- I've not given up on Ryan Fraser. I think there's a there's a player in there. I think he's done really, really well at Bournemouth. I'm really surprised they've not tried to nail him down, you know, to a longer contract. But I appreciate he probably wants bigger and better things. I think out out of the two, I think you know, working under Mikel Arteta would be the better option for him. Um, I think that you know he's probably going to be a better man manager than Jose Mourinho will, because you know Mourinho is quick to freeze people out and throw them on the bus to the media and that, that does affect the player's confidence. You can just look at what's happened with Ndombele at, at Tottenham. You know, in that respect, I just think that does he make Arsenal a better team? Does he start for Arsenal? He, he doesn't, like Fergal said. You know, Fergal's got the inside scoop on that. But I can see it it just seems like one of them yeah, you know, one of them moves really. It doesn't really you know, say to a me move that, for the sake of a move. Yeah, move for the sake of the move. It's just that it doesn't really say to me that, oh my God, you know, Arsenal or Spurs are doing things because they brought Ryan Fraser in, you know. Um, I just think it'll be a squad player and it's whether he's happy to play a bit part at Arsenal or at Spurs because, you know, he could play three games at Spurs and never play for them again under Mourinho. So um, I think, you know, Fergal just used the word vampire, which I thought was quite nice. Um, but I just think that, yeah, just just look elsewhere. There's, there's better moves for Ryan Fraser than Tottenham and I think probably the best that he will probably get is Arsenal and I think that wouldn't be a bad move for him if he's happy to rotate in and out for uh, first 11. Choose wisely, wee man. I think that's the uh, the overriding thought coming out of this one. Moving on to one for your club, Steve. Uh, this comes from AS, the Spanish outlet, who claim that Liverpool want Leicester's Chaglar Soyuncu, who's been absolutely imperious for Leicester at the back this season. Everyone was questioning how Leicester would be able to deal with the loss of Harry Maguire to Manchester United. Well, just goes to show how good their recruitment's been over the last four or five seasons because Soyuncu um, has basically filled those shoes and it's almost as if Harry Maguire never even left in respect to both players because Soyuncu's having an absolute stormer of a campaign at least he was before it was suspended so I mean this is one that I don't think any Liverpool fan would turn their nose up at I mean Soyuncu isn't the most fashionable of players from the most fashionable of clubs in Leicester but certainly he's proven in the Premier League this season that he does have what it takes Yeah I think he's a really good defender I think he's he's pretty solid and he had big shoes to fill didn't he at Leicester and and he's tucked to it like a, like a duck to water he's been very very impressive and been a real rock at the heart of the defence uh, you know this season um, the reality is though Liverpool are not in for the centre-back this summer uh, you know we've been heavily linked with Koulibaly in the last couple of weeks as well and saying that we are um, leading the chase to sign him but at 28 years of age he, he doesn't fit the profile you know for Liverpool and I think I'm led to believe that, that Klopp is, is um, happy with his centre-back options that he's got at the club I mean people will talk about you know Day and Lovren and, and how emotional he can be and how, how rash he can be um, but I think in this market, they might have had a bit of a rethink on that um, in the light of the coronavirus situation. I would love Sionku at Liverpool. I think it'd be great, but I just don't see it happening. I think that um, we, we, you know, our focus is elsewhere. I think if we're going to do anything, it'll be it'll be Timo Werner. And I think that um, we might keep having a nibble at uh, Bukayo Saka at Arsenal as well, who, who I know that Klopp wants, but Arsenal are going to dig the heels in there. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair, centre-backs are the flavour of the month, aren't they, Steve? So, you know, we saw how much Harry yeah. Maguire cost, Manchester United. Uh, we know that Arsenal have been in the market for a decent centre-back and, of course, they've got Saliba on loan, but they've also been linked with the likes of Koulibaly. So is that probably a, a business strategy, a transfer strategy from Liverpool not to go for a centre-back because they seem to be some of the most expensive players about at the moment? Yeah, I think so. I just think that it's it's not 
high enough on the agenda for Liverpool. I think if they are going to do a piece of business, it probably would be Timo Werner, who the player is desperate to join Liverpool, and Liverpool want another striker, you know, to come in. But you know, the figures being bandied about in the current situation are, make it quite difficult. But I, I just can't see us going for the centre half. Uh, this summer at all, I think you know it'll be it'll be someone for the left hand side, you know, to to cover Andy Robertson, and um, it, you know it'll be a striker. I mean, I think the targets that Liverpool have had, you know, your your Havertz is in this world, your Ben White, you know, for another one where these players, I think they they're probably more more likely than um, sorry, not likely, unlikely to happen in in the current you know climate. So I think it's just paper talk. ASR renowned for creating a story out of nothing and um, I wish it was true you know I'd love another monster centre half at the club <laughs> as it'd make us even you know better defensively and it'd improve a, one of the best defences in the league no end but um, I had this conversation with a friend of mine on WhatsApp because I, and, and he said that um, I was in the wrong because I said that it from a Liverpool point of view Jurgen Klopp has put a lot of faith in Joe Gomez and we've seen what I think is astronomical development in Joe Gomez, you know, when he's been next to uh, Virgil van Dijk. And it just doesn't seem like a Jurgen Klopp thing to do to go, actually, I'm going to go and spend 70, 80 million on a centre-half because that clearly has an impact on Joe Gomez's development. And I think Joe Gomez is one half of England's uh, centre-back pair in, in, you know, Euro 2027, <laughs> you know, whenever that's <laughs> going to happen. And it just, uh, I think Klopp is into, you know, developing players and having confident fit players that are on the, you know, the same hymn sheet as the rest of them. And it just seems that if he did bring another centre-half in who's probably going to, you know, look to start with us, it doesn't really fit right. But, you know, he said to me, that's what top managers do. There's no sentiment there. But I just think it's a bit different with Jürgen. I think he'll look at what he's done with Joe Gomez and think, actually, you know, we're... We're, we're, we're building someone here who's a real kind of rock-solid, dependable partner for Virgil van Dijk. Mm, Fergal, you've got your finger on the pulse in Liverpool and, of course, of our Spanish colleagues too. So, I mean, are you, are you with Steve on this one? You think maybe this is a, a little bit far-fetched from AS? I do, yeah. And uh, yes, it's direct quotes from his agent. Uh, and he talked about how they were watching him when he was playing in Turkey before he moved to Germany and then on to Leicester. Um, I would agree with Steve that I don't think it's a priority for Klopp to sign a centre-back this summer. But I think it's good. It's it's a knock-on effect. Lovren's got the key in the door here. Um, Gomez and Van Dijk are first choices. I think, as Steve said, Gomez's development's been brilliant. There's still slight holes in his game, but I think that's more just based on his hey. age rather than lack of, abil- <laughs> lack, of abil- lack of ability. No, I think, he's, I think he's excellent. I think the sheer nature of a centre-back is learning the game. That's that's the core thing about it, is the best attribute a centre-back can have is experience. Mm. You only get experience by playing games. Um, for Lovren, obviously there was talk last summer of him moving to Italy. I think if a bid comes in for Lovren, or if Lovren, being the way that he is, turns around to Klopp and says, look, I'm not playing, you know, I'm an international, I've been a Premier League player for years, I want to leave, then that opens the door. But the money that would be demanded by Leicester for Soyuncu, I think you said there before, 60-plus um, I don't think that's the road that Klopp would want to go down. I think he would look along the Joel Matip model. Can we get someone on a free? Can we get someone below 20 million who's really experienced that will be happy with this rotating role, which Joel Matip seems to be um, quite happy with? I think Matip's one of the most underrated players in that Liverpool squad. Every time he plays, he's consistent, very calm, dovetails really well with Van Dijk. Um, so, no, I, I don't really see this happening because I think the money that Leicester would demand, and also Leicester know that 
they can charge these fees because Maguire has set a bit of a precedent last summer. Yes, United were dying to get him, but City were also interested and there was other interested parties. If Leicester get wind of the fact that Liverpool want Soyuncu, there's potential talk of PSG and a few others being interested, Brendan Rodgers and Ward will go, right, if he has to leave, let's just drive that price up and drive that price up. And we know that Klopp is not a manager that will be held to ransom over fees and, and neither are FSG. So I I think this is, is yeah, very much pie in the sky. Soon, because had a brilliant campaign, I think he would be good enough to play for Liverpool, personally. But I think so many things would have to happen for a move to get wheels under it that I just don't see it coming to pass. Talking of driving the price up, the last one to come off the rumour mill on today's podcast comes from the Daily Mirror in England, suggesting that Aston Villa want 80 million quid for Jack Grealish, who has no doubt been their talisman and star player this season. Relegation or not, so regardless of what happens in terms of a decision to finish or conclude the Premier League season in whatever vein, whether Aston Villa end up staying up or going down, they want at least £80 for their star man. Now, in the current market, Steve, firstly, I can't blame them. I think that's fair enough. And he's English, so you get what I like to call English tax. So it can slap another £10 on top of it quite easily. And he's an attacking player. If we're seeing centre-backs going for £75, £80 then an attacking player who's proven that he can do it in the Premier League in a team that's struggling... I mean, is eighty million really that ex- excessive for a player of Greenish's quality? I think there's there's two trains of thought here, and the second one is the eighty million. I bet Aston Villa need that money, uh, you know, considering <laughs> considering the money that they spent in summer trying to build a Premier League team, which has, let's face it, dramatically backfired on them. Um, so eighty million would put a real dent in the the fire that is burning wildly on the on the PNL. Um, I think that 80 million for, for for Grealish, who has been absolutely scintillating this season and and was incredible last season as well in the Championship, um, seems a little bit too high. I think it's probably it might be 15 million over where it needs to be. Um, we're in a situation where the transfer market we don't know what kind of impact you know the coronavirus situation is going to have had on that. We think that and we're forecasting that. You know, teams are going to be a lot more frugal with how they how they do money and uh, spend money. Sorry, and you know they're going to try and kind of find deals. I mean, one of the sound bites that come out of my club yesterday is that they're after finding the next, you know, Salas and Mane's of this world instead of actually going out and spending massive money on them. So that just shows you the the kind of increase in so you know the the change in the thinking in terms of spending money. And I think. I don't think that anyone this season in the Premier League will will, will spend eighty million on a player. Um, I'd be very surprised. You know whether there's just a bit of kind of skullduggery going on where they're just kind of saying, "Well, yeah, yeah, we're not going to do that because it might be perceived to be bad to be spending that level of cash on a player when we've just had the financial and economic turmoil that, that you know the coronavirus is going to bring." Um, I just think eighty million. I think that you know they'll do well to get that off a team because I don't think any of the European big guns will come in for Grealish. Uh, Grealish, I think you know Real Madrid aren't going to sign him. Barcelona aren't going to sign him. Juventus or Bayern Munich probably aren't going to sign him. I think it would be an English club that would buy him. Um, you know the likes of Spurs or Man United. I think will probably be a, a decent fit for him. I don't really see him going to City or Liverpool at this stage. Um, but I just think that 80 million quid, uh, you know, even with its English tax in it, which, you know, obviously the lad needs to catch a break with the England team as well, doesn't he? Let's not forget that. Um, seems a bit excessive to me. And I think that that there's probably some in it. I think there's been some conversations being had, but 80 million would be quite difficult to stomach, I think. Yeah, to be honest, Fergal, this reminds me of the Wilfred Zaha situation from uh, last season where he was quite clearly Crystal Palace's best player. 
and Crystal Palace almost priced the player out of a move away from the club because they weren't prepared to let their best asset leave for less than what they thought he was worth. And you can understand both points of view from the situation. You can understand Crystal Palace's standpoint from that. I mean, this reminds me of a very similar situation. Aston Villa aren't prepared to let their best player go for below what they feel his value is. But with the market the way it is, as Steve mentions, we're probably unlikely to see big money moves this summer. At least that's what you know we're, we're getting told. Especially when you see teammates of Grealish's like Connor Halrahan, who's come out and said that Jack has a big decision to make in the summer. Now, that to me almost sounds like they've, you know, resigned themselves to the fact that Grealish will be on his way in the summer out of Villa Park. And as Steve also mentions, he's not even an England international. So is there an argument there for, for his value to decrease slightly? Potentially. Um, I do agree with Steve that I think a bit of money has been tacked on this for, you know, for more impact on a back page and, and various other reasons. There's no doubt, and he's been absolutely brilliant for Villa this season. This all depends on whether they stay in the Premier League or not, or how the season ends. Uh, if they go down, he's gone. Like He's immediately gone. Um, but I think if he keeps them up, that just kind of strengthens this idea of he's done everything he can for the club. He powered your promotion challenge, and he's kept you in the league in, in back-to-back seasons. You can't really ask any more from him for a club like Villa that has found it tough in the, in the Premier League this season. Um, but again, to, to go back to what Steve said about money being thrown around this summer, I, I don't see there being certainly not a, <clears throat> a number of big money transfers. And this falls into that bracket, £80 million. Is he worth the money? I mean, it's so difficult to gauge these things because do you judge it against his performances? Do you judge it against the market? Do you judge it against other players that have been sold? You know, last summer, um, Man United bought Harry Maguire for a similar fee. And, you know, did he do a better job with Leicester than Grealish has done with Villa? Was his value to Leicester greater than Grealish's is to Villa? Probably not when you look at the players that Leicester have got around Maguire in that team. So, in a way, given all the forces at play, the market, the fact that Villa know United have got money and are not frightened to spend it, 80 on Maguire, 50 on Wan-Bissaka, 45, I think, on Fernandez in, in January. Um, all of these things play a role and all of these things add a few quid onto that. So when we just look at this big boom in 80 million, everyone kind of goes, ooh, hasn't played for England. He's only had one season full in the Premier League. Is he this or is he that? It's a difficult one to gauge. I think the money is the is almost takes a back seat in all of this. I think he's going to go, whether they stay up or not. I think if he's gone, if they go down, he's gone. I think if they stay up, he's probably gone. But I don't think they're going to be able to demand that much, even if they do stay up, because clubs are clubs are like wolves. They can they can smell blood. They will know that Villa, even if they stay up, have got financial issues, and they know that they can justify it to the fans to say, "Look at everything Jack's done. Let him have his move. Let him go. Wish him well. Blah blah blah." Um, I don't see them getting 80 million for him for for a multitude of reasons that I've said it and, and Steve said before. But I think he's gone. Um, I, I think you know to echo Harahan's comments. I think he's too good for Villa. No disrespect to Villa. I, I just think he is. I just think he's that good. Um, I think he'd be a success at a, a top four team. Um, whether that's United or someone else, I, I don't really know. With United, they're still in transition. He's somebody that needs to be coming in and in a really good team and driving them on. Is he the is he the player to kind of ease them through that transition? That's a big question. But you know we've seen that he's got leadership qualities. We've seen you know he's got. He's got that kind of force of personality at Villa so far this season. So I think this could be the the transfer of the summer that will roll and roll and roll probably until we restart the next campaign, whenever that may be. Um, 
but I, I think I do think he's as good as gone. But I don't think they'll get eighty million for him. Yeah, gone were the vibes I was getting from Conor Halrahan in that interview. I mean, the the way yeah. he was suggesting that, that interview. Yeah, the the way that he was suggesting Grealish has a big tough decision to make just made me feel that there was no chance that he would stay at the club. And plus, with the current market the way it is, I think maybe we are still looking at eighty million as if it was a massive fee, which it still is in in monetary terms, a huge fee. But in relation to the Neymar transfer of two hundred fifty million quid or whatever it was, and that drove the transfer market up to to no end. Right, that's it for today's football social daily thanks steve thanks virgil welcome thank you what you got on the agenda for the rest of this week i'm still working at the minute you know so um you know we uh, i'm working remotely from home so it'll just be a bit of that and some jobs on the house i think sounds good virgil what about you uh i've taken up a lot of baking uh which i'm baking at <laughs> anything that isn't nailed down in the kitchen i'm i'm, I'm baking i made two pies yesterday <laughs> Yeah, a lot of ba- a lot of bacon and a little bit of work and just waiting for football to come back. Sounds good. Well, maybe you can get uh, the contract <laughs> for baking bolty pies at the Emirates Stadium f- in future. That's a, the future career for Fergal, yeah. the, the caterer at the Emirates. <laughs> um, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe. You won't ever miss another episode again. We are currently three days a week rather than the full schedule of seven days a week. But as soon as football returns, as soon as Premier League action is back, we will be back to a daily schedule. So hit subscribe. You won't miss a show, as I said before. And get in touch with us on social media every friday we do a q a podcast so get your questions in you can find us on social media at the sports social but that's it for now and we'll speak to you on the next podcast football social daily with german donna kebab slow cooked succulent meats delivered fast to your door search for us via uber eats and delivery hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.